when this passing world is over we will see you face to face and forever we will Jesus, you are all to love. Jesus, you are all to love. You're all. You're everything to
Welcome to Grace Church Under the Tent. We are going to be doing this for at least the month of July. This is our fifth week in. We will keep you posted on what is going on, okay? If you're new to Grace, we are a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus. That is what we're about. Not just words. These are what we want to live. And uh, for those that are regulars at Grace, offering boxes are in the back of the tent. You can still give online or through the mail. If you're a guest here, we're just glad you're here with us. Uh, there's a summer calendar, a little card should be on your seats. Uh, all the plans changed, so we made some new plans, right? And next week, we're having an all-church picnic at Irvine Park after third service. And I know some of you are very aware that Governor Newsom issued some new guidelines this week dealing with singing at church. As we understand the guidelines, the limit on singing applies to indoor services. And so, uh, good thing we got a tent, right? Good thing we got a tent. If you are more comfortable singing with a mask on or stepping outside the tent during singing, feel free to do so. No worries there. Uh, a lot of new people here. We're so glad you're here. I want to say hello to a good friend of mine, Stuart Frazier, his wife Melanie, and their kids Elena and Savannah and Luke. They're, he's the pastor at First Baptist Church of Auburn. We're both in the same program at the Master's Seminary Doctor of Ministry program. And uh, Stuart's a good friend, so I'm glad you guys are here. And the rest of you that are here, I'm so glad you're here. Um, let's go ahead and start with the first two verses of Psalm 138. So if you would, please stand with me as we begin. I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks today with our whole heart. We, we bow down before you, Lord. We give thanks to your name because of your steadfast love and because of your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your presence with us. We pray that you would save and sanctify according to your will today. We want to praise your name. We want to obey your word all for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's a joy to worship with you all this morning. If you're joining us in the live stream, uh, thanks for being here. What a gift. Will you join us in singing the mystery of the cross? The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend The agonies of Calvary Perfect Holy One crushed your Son and drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's right, completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once you're Jesus, thank you. By your perfect, oh, by your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near. Your enemy, you made your friend. 
satisfied. And Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now I'm seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Before we sing our next song, uh, you're welcome to say a socially distant good morning to the people around you.
and stay standing, please, and open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I'm going to be reading verses 9 through 15. This is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 15. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. This is the word of God. Please be seated. We want to do something right now in the service that is very biblical. We want to appreciate some leaders in the church. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the outcome of their life. Imitate their faith. But before we do that, I want to ask anybody who's involved in any kind of ministry at Grace Orange, go ahead and stand on up right now. Staff, elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers, Awana, youth group, any kind of ministry you're a part of, home group leaders, Bible classes, and just look at who's among us that is serving in many ways. Yes, if you think it's you, yes, it is you. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for serving. I think of um, all of you fondly as we think about serving. So go ahead and have a seat. But first hour, I mentioned Dan and Jill Martin. They were in there, and Matthew and Alice Holbrook doing high school ministry for so long. I think of Rick Weber doing the connecting team, ushers and greeters for so many years, and then passing it on to George Miklia, who's back over there in the back. He's taking over the reins in that ministry. Hebrews 6.10 tells us God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints and still doing so. So thank you for your service. Thank you for your ministry. Specifically, we want to recognize a couple people today. Uh, first hour, we recognized Nancy Lauridson. She was here with us during first hour, but she recently concluded 25 plus years of being our early childhood director. <laughs> Serving for so long and so well, so faithfully, uh, a model of unselfish service, uh, so much hidden work, but loving and caring for so many children and parents and families. I mean, how do you adequately thank a woman who has poured her life out, given her life, and poured out her love for this body for so many years? And so we say thank you many times over. And what I would say is you run into Nancy, thank her again. Just go, oh, I already thanked her. No, keep on thanking people. It's okay. Good. Thanking is good. Uh, she recently handed off the early childhood leadership reins to Jolene Slazis, who is right here. So go ahead and stand up for just a moment, Jolene. 
And I will be praying for Jolene during the pastoral prayer, but we are thankful for you taking on this new ministry. Of course, we, we don't get to do the early childhood ministry uh, in the rooms yet, but we, we have a lot of the kids with us, and we'll, um, we'll look forward to engaging in those ministries in the coming months and years. We also want to recognize Jeff Lordson, Nancy's husband. Uh, Jeff has been an elder here for uh, a long time, since the mid-1980s, and He's led a lot of people to Christ. He's discipled a lot of people. He's started a lot of Bible classes and more. Uh, Jeff is a loving, humble shepherd, a man I greatly admire and look up to, and he leads with kindness and integrity. That's the kind of elder you want at a church. Health concerns have caused him to recently step aside from the role of elder. I was uh, joking with Ed Trenner during first hour, because uh, Ed, the former pastor of Grace, and I, we were talking, we're both elders here, and we're like, we've been twisting Jeff's arm to not step aside for quite a while, um, but health reasons have caused that to be a necessity for him. He is home today, just to be safe health-wise. But we want to honor him as well. I mean, how do you thank a man who has literally poured out his life for a local body and, and just in love for over 30 plus years. How do you do that? You just keep on thanking them. And I think you imitate their faith. First Thessalonians 5.12 says, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. First Timothy 5.17, the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And Jeff is worthy of double honor. So please reach out. Please make sure you say thank you. We've given them some tokens of appreciation, but those are just small tokens of our, our deep, deep love for them. Also, I want to mention Winston and Holly Weber in the back. They were our all-stars during COVID-19 live stream era where we were only live streaming. They were there every Sunday, and here I was in front of the camera, and they were just scurrying behind the scenes, making sure everything was done. I saw, I saw Winston leap small buildings or at least rows of chairs when the live stream would cut out and he would just be on it. And now in the, uh, I guess, in the tent era ongoing, uh, they are also all-stars. Also Jack Hansen, who's out of town today, he's, he's an anchor in, in, that, in that area as well. Last, I want to say this before I pray. How about you? Many of you have done lots of ministry in lots of different areas, but let's talk about right now. What kind of ministry do you want to do? What kind of ideas do you have? Talk to us, okay? We want to encourage you as God has gifted you to serve in whatever ways that God may be leading. But let's go ahead and go to a time of prayer. We will be thankful for the Lordsons and others that serve among us. We'll pray for Jolene as she begins this new ministry. And most of all, we'll praise God with every ounce of our being. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can come to you Thank you, Lord, that you are good and great and loving and merciful and kind and just and righteous. Lord, we come to you, a holy God, knowing that we are sinful and so we need to confess our sins to you. And we thank, we're thankful that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and righteous and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord, that every believer that was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world is, is to live to the praise of your glory. We have eternal life. We have forgiveness of sins. We have freedom to serve, and to serve your purposes. We thank you, Lord, for those who have served so well among us. We thank you for Jeff and for Nancy. We thank you for the love that they have shared and shown to this body, for the wisdom and the guidance and the integrity 
Thank you for their lives and thank you for your work in them. We thank you for Jolene being willing to take on early childhood ministry. Uh, We thank you uh, for her and for the gifts she brings to this role. We pray that you would strengthen her and lead and guide. We also thank you, Lord, for every person who serves at at Grace. Uh, We we do so in your strength by your grace. Lord, also we know that there are many hurting today, broken, faint-hearted, weak, Pray, Lord, that you would bind up the broken, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and use us, Lord, to do the same in your strength. Lord, we praise you that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you that we don't always get what we want, but you provide what we need. We thank you for every good and perfect gift that comes from you. And now, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen your people, that you would persevere us, that we would be kind to all, that we would be patient when wrong, that we would bless those who curse us, that we would love all people that we would be Christ's witnesses in our homes, in this church, in this community, and to the ends of the earth, that we would not live for ourselves, but for Christ who died in our place and rose from the dead. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Splendor. The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, let all the earth rejoice, he wraps himself in light, and dark
God, that there are, um, there are so, many, so many hurts in this room um, that we can't number, so many question marks in this room that, that we can't answer, um, so many difficulties and pains and trials and um, whatever, whatever the phrase that we want to put on it. Um, God, we need gospel truth uh, like, like balm on the wounds of our soul to come and make us well in you, to give us life and rest and hope in Jesus, to give us a purpose and clarity in Christ, um, to go forward to all the world and make disciples, um, preaching and, and making clear um, that Christ died for the ungodly. And we thank you for this morning. Thank you for all uh, the good things you're going to do in this place and through this time as you speak through Ecclesiastes. Um, we just thank you for every person in this time. For all these things because of Jesus. very easy to misunderstand God, and therefore very easy to miss his purposes. It's very easy to do so. Just misunderstand God and then, then totally miss his purposes. The New York Post recently interviewed someone very famous uh, regarding struggles in their life, and here's what they said. They said, I really wasn't a big church person. I didn't feel welcome but I recently found a place that accepts me for who I am, no matter who I love, and there's no judgment, and that is what I needed. They went on, I tried to seek God through other experiences, relationships, substances, but I had to realize the God I'm seeking, the God I love, the God I want to be my God is available 24-7. Therefore, I need to focus on myself, and I need to focus on my relationship with myself, and seemingly as an add-on, my relationship with God. It seems that this person has created a God in their own image. Uh, the, the focus of the article was self-honoring versus aligning with the purposes of the one true God revealed in Christ. In Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, we saw last week a poem with a purpose. Inspired by God, written by Solomon some 3,000 years ago. Set to music by Pete Seeger in 1959. Made famous by the birds in 1965. And that poem tells us there is a God-centered time for everything. God chooses the timing of everything. We saw this last week. That God sovereignly gives everything that God providentially controls everything. It's very comforting in this coronavirus, pandemic, social protest, culture-clashing, pandemonium time in which we live. It's comforting to know that God sovereignly and providentially controls everything. And then Solomon goes on to explain more about the poem's message in the following verses. And so today... In Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 15, we see there is a God-honoring purpose for everything. This is where the poem is angling. There is a God-honoring purpose for everything. These verses, they explain what God does to bring about his God-honoring purpose for everything. This is what this is telling us. There's an eternal purpose that is God's glory 
and that he is working to exalt himself, not you and I, and that we are not the focus. God's purpose, if you're a believer today, God's purpose is to grow you in God-honoring obedience and worship. His purpose, what he's angling for, his end game, is to, is to grow you in God-honoring obedience and worship that would have an effect right now as you live your life. And he does this, we see this in this passage, we do this by doing two primary things. First, he gives you earthly work with eternal longing, with heavenly longing. So we see that in verses 9 through 13. He gives you earthly work while you have eternal longing, heavenly longing. And secondly, he enables worshipful trust and obedience. And we see that in verses 14 and 15. So first in verses 9 through 13, God gives earthly work and heavenly longing. Look at verse 9. What gain does the worker have for his toil? Solomon is wondering. Have you ever wondered? I'm sure you've wondered, right? Like, is what I'm doing making any kind of difference? Does it matter what I do? In verse 10, he says, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. We're busy with God-given work, which is a great grace from God, but sometimes that work is painful, and it's a struggle. It isn't always easy. In fact, most of the things that are worthwhile in life aren't easy. You'll notice that in verse 10, Solomon starts using the name of God at a more frequent pace. Eight times in this chapter, he mentions the name of God, and he's not referring to a God that he imagines or has created in his own mind. He is referring to the one true God who created your existence, who holds all things together by the word of his power. Notice in verse 11, and it says that he, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. A very beautiful verse. Wonderful words. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Beauty here means appropriate. It means timely. So it doesn't mean that everything is beautiful as we would judge it, but that God has providentially appointed things in their right time time. And he's done so by his creative choice. He's done so. And you've noticed, just look around. He ordained the sun and the the moon and the stars to measure times and seasons and months and days and years. See that in Genesis 1.14? The order reflecting God's order. He created all things good. Someone posted a picture the other day of a sunset. Beautiful picture of a clear sky with a sunset. But interestingly, the caption they put with it just kind of startled me for a moment. I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting that you said that. I would have expected them to say, you know, praise God or something like this. Here's what they said. They posted the picture of the sunset and said, okay, wow, God is real. Okay. And someone replies, even in the fog. And someone else replies, all the time. So I didn't have to reply at all. I was the good guy. God is always real. Clear sky, fog, cloudy, reveals himself generally in creation, reveals himself specifically and savingly in scripture. He is unchanging. I mean, just notice, God made the visible universe, the solar system, the planets, the plants, the animals, mankind. 
but he also made the invisible. He made gravity. We've got some young kids living with us right now, and one of them wants to fly every day. I want to fly. I'm like, you're having a hard time with it, aren't you? I mean, I can hold you up in the, in the air for so long, but you're not going to fly. Get on a plane, then you can fly. Take a hang glider. I don't know. But you're dealing with gravity, and you got to learn it. God created the speed of light. He created planetary orbits, lunar tides, combustion, reproduction, digestion, emotions. He created thoughts and blood clots and everything. Everything beautiful in its time. Some people like to twist this into something it's not. It often will twist it to say, well, sin can be beautiful in its time. Everything's beautiful in its time. Sin can be beautiful in its time. I say, no way. No way. Some say you can have your sin and the Savior. Sinners follow a sinless Savior. Christ's blood cleanses us, and we confess our sins, but we don't love our sins. You can't Insist on bringing your celebrated sin with you into a relationship with Jesus. This is what you're hearing left and right, are you not? Jesus does not affirm everything. What does Jesus do? When you come to faith in Christ, he saves you from the power of sin. He saves you from the penalty of sin. And one day, on on a blessed day, he will save you from the presence of sin. But not yet. You have to love your sin and coddle your sin like one of those little dogs you put in a purse. Hebrews 13.3 says, Consider Jesus who endured such hostility against sinners by himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart as you follow him. Hebrews 12.4 says, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. That word striving is where we get our English word antagonism. That you are to be antagonistic towards your sin. You are to hate your sin. You are to fight your sin. Well, what do we do? No, we turn around and we strive antagonistically toward other people, especially people in the church. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, I've I've hidden your word in my heart that I would not sin against you. What do we do? We harbor hatred and ill will towards other people and sin against God and them. I've hidden your word in my heart that I would not sin against you. God wants your heart bent toward his. He has put eternity forever in man's heart. Verse 11, we're still in verse 11. He has another beautiful phrase. He's put eternity in man's heart. That word eternity is also translated world. But it's also translated forever in verse 14. It means eternity. Forever. He has put eternity into man's heart. You have a hunger and a longing for what is eternal. You're slugging it out here on earth and you're doing your work and you're doing your job. You're a mom, you're a dad, you're a brother, you're a sister, you're a son, you're a daughter. And you do whatever work God has given you to do. Kids, your number one job is to obey your mom and dad. Moms and dads, can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. I was going to reverse that. No, the Bible says this. But you do what you do, and someone's unkind to you. Someone's unjust to you. 
It doesn't work out. You get fired for doing a great job. Whatever it is. Because all those things show you there's something more than this life. And you're longing for the eternal. If everything was great in life, you'd be like, this is heaven on earth. But because things are not all great in life, and because God ordains all things, you're more reminded of heaven. God's word and people last forever. You were made for the eternal. You'll notice in verse 11, it also says that God has put eternity into man's heart, yet in such a way that you cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. You can search all you like. You will not get all the answers this side of heaven. You just won't. Doesn't matter how high your IQ is, how smart you are, you will not figure it all out. The mysteries of, of Christ have been revealed in the gospel. Beautiful mysteries of Christ revealed to us, but only God knows the secret things of God. So God gives you earthly work to do and, and a heavenly longing to go along with it as you go through days of drudgery and days of pain. It's like Paul. Paul was torn between earthly fruitfulness in ministry and going to heaven. Move on to verse 12. You'll notice what you're to do as you have this heavenly longing. What you're to do, verse 12 says, I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. You're to engage in God-honoring, joyful doing. You're to do something good with your time. You're to be joyful and do good. Now here's the interesting thing. Those joyful in God because of Christ do good to other people. Those miserable do bad towards other people. In Ephesians 2, we're told that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. We're not saved by our own works. And then 2.10 says this. We are his workmanship. Literally his crafted poem. We get our word poem from that word. And we are created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared. God has crafted good works for you in order to bless others. In contrast to doing evil. You always notice when you're called to do good, you're, that means you're called not to do evil. In Ecclesiastes 3.16, we'll look at that next week, we're going to see this idea of injustice in the world. And see the idea that there is justice and joy for all in Christ. But you'll notice that there's doing good set up in the context of there are people who do evil. They do wickedness. Psalm 34 verse 14 says, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace, pursue it. Psalm 37 verses 1 through 3 says, fret not because of evildoers. They will soon fade. Trust in the Lord and what? Do good. You can joyfully do good. If you're a Christian today and you believe in Jesus, you believe the gospel, you believe that he died for your sins in your place on the cross, your substitute died for you, and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that you can't work your way to God, but that he saves all who come to him in faith. You can live joyfully doing good. That's why. And, and let me just give you some examples. Because it's very easy to choose the easy bad way, I'm telling you, okay? You can choose the easy bad way and fight all your relational wars. 
or do the difficult good thing and love all people. What a novel concept. So biblical. You can choose the easy bad way and keep yourself in a huddle of all the people you like. Or you can do the difficult good thing and walk across the aisle and reconcile with those you are at odds with. You can choose the easy bad way and keep hurting people because you hurt so much. Or you can do the difficult good thing, trust God to heal your hurts and use you as an instrument of grace to build people up rather than tearing people down. You'll notice that Solomon says it's good for them to be joyful and do good. There's this, there's this plurality here that basically we are to be joyful and do good. It happens in community. It happens with people. Galatians 6.10 says, do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. You can just review the lessons that you learned in 2020 isolation. We are not made to be isolated. Think about how lonely it was to be isolated. Some of you still feel isolated. We're not built for isolation. We are built for community with other people. Last week, I gave you a, a list of all the good things that God has brought about through COVID-19. We pray more that we actually can connect in the midst of that or plan connecting or long for connecting. I take my home group as an example. My home group, we have a, a bunch of families that get together every week. Well, the first few weeks of COVID-19, zero was happening between all of us. You know, we would maybe text each other, maybe call, but it was like we weren't getting together. And then we're like, Let's do the Zoom meeting. Everyone's so tired of Zoom right now, right? But we, we got the Zoom thing together, and it was the flat screen, and it was okay, but it was a sorry substitute for being together in person. We got the GroupMe app, and you had to check the app, but you could talk to each other that way too. But then last Sunday, we went and had a picnic, social distanced, picnic at the park. We saw each other in person. Saw each other at church, then we saw each other that night, and we're just doing baby steps back together, right? And nothing broke in our relationship. The, the circumstances pulled us apart. We are longing to be together. We are joyful to be together. We are joyful and we want to do good toward each other. But here's what happens in Christian community. Being joyful and doing good gets severely tested when you're around people because people are sinful. Community gets fractured. People behave badly. Then people start feeling bad. Then everybody feels bad. But God knows. I mean, you need to do the hard work of reconciling and confessing your sins and not, you know, backbiting and doing things that are sinful. But you also need to realize God knows it all and he is in control and it's in his design. You're not in control. Now you are called as a believer to exercise Holy Spirit control. And do what God says. Seek peace. Pursue it. Don't live for the applause of man. Serve an audience of one. And think about this. As you're serving God's purposes, with a humble heart, with a sincere heart, people are served. But when you are serving your purposes, people are abused and used. But through that all, what you also need to realize is God is in the midst working his perfect will. And you have a choice to either work with him or against him. But one thing you cannot do is thwart his purposes. You're not strong enough. 
Only he is God. You cannot thwart God's purposes and plans. People act up, relationships get messed up, things break up, and you are just longing for eternity because there will come a day when there is no more sin, no more sorrow, no more sadness. But as you long for eternity, you know what you are to do? You are to enjoy the God-given gifts that he gives. Like, enjoy life. Don't go through drudgery and go, oh, life is so bad. Look at verse 13. Everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. He's given you, in common grace, he's given you uh, the gracious ability to enjoy life. I tell Christians all the time, people will be like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I've got this situation. What do I do? I said, love Jesus and do whatever you want. Because if you're loving Jesus the most, you will do what pleases God. You're not going to go wrong if you're seeking the will of God with a humble heart and a sincere heart. You want God's will. So this first part of this passage really shows us God gives us earthly work and heavenly longing amidst of that to bring about his God-honoring purpose for everything. Move with me to verse 14. We'll look at verses 14 and 15 now. In those verses, what we see is that God enables our worshipful trust and obedience As you're doing your earthly work with heavenly longing, he is enabling worshipful trust and obedience. Verse 14, look at that. Put your eyes there. I perceive. So Solomon is figuring things out with the wisdom that God gave him. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. There's your eternity word again. And nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God is eternal. His work and his word is settled forever in heaven. Like I started the service with those words from Psalm 138, verse 2. You have exalted above all things your name and your word. You see the phrase, your name, it means who God is and what he does. And his word that reveals who he is and what he does. Verse 14 says, God has done it so that people fear before him. That means that you would worship him, that you would reverence God, that you would live, as it says, the second to last verse in Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, this is the end of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Do what pleases him. Worship him and follow the word of God. God's purpose is to be worshiped. So we saw this last week. He chooses and he gives and he controls. And when you grasp more clearly what God does, then you can give yourself more fully to what he expects of you. That you redeem the time, that you receive his good gifts, that you relax and realize God is in control. That God isn't burdening you with his responsibilities. He strengthens you to worship him and and as you trust and obey him. And then look at verse 15. It's a tough verse to figure out. That which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been. That's the simple part of the verse. Chapter 1, verse 9, we've already seen what has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. 
God has ordained all things and decreed his sovereign will. But the last phrase in verse 15 is the tough part. God seeks what has been driven away. Now some commentators say, well, this is just about God bringing history to bear and at the end of time, he's just gonna judge everything. I think that stops a little short of what this verse is getting at. God seeks what has been driven away. What does this mean? I detect notes of God's loving discipline of believers in the present as well as coming judgment in the future for unbelievers in verse 15. God's present discipline of believers and future eternal judgment of unbelievers. Let's focus most on right now, for believers right now. God's discipline comes by the Spirit-applied word. So many people think, God's going to zap me if I step out of line. No parent in their right mind does that with their kids. God doesn't want to crush you. He wants to comfort you and help you as a believer. So the idea here is that God is going to discipline every believer by the Spirit-applied word of God. And in the future, he is going to judge with just judgment. I mean, jot down 2 Peter 3, the whole, the whole chapter, and then read Jude, all of Jude. You'll understand more about God's future judgment. 2 Peter 3 and all of Jude. Well, let's talk about believers right now and how God disciplines us through the Word. In Hebrews 12, you want to go over to Hebrews 12 with me. Hebrews 12, we see the discipline of God in the believer's life, quoting from in Hebrews 12, 5 and 6, quoting from Job 5, 17, quoting from Proverbs 3, 11. And it says, you've forgotten, have you forgotten the exhortation that is addressed to you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He's quoting from the Old Testament and this word for discipline in Hebrews 12.5 is the word for child training. Training up a child in the ways of the Lord. And it means to correct on an ongoing basis. The other word you see is reproof. If you think about it, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us of the inspired word and what is it profitable for? Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And training there is the same word for discipline in Hebrews 12, child training. God disciplines believers on an ongoing basis through the word of God. He, as Ecclesiastes 3.15 says, he seeks what has been driven away. He brings the lesson back to you. You passed it up. You ignored it. You don't want to think about it. He'll bring it back to you over and over again. He disciplines believers ongoing through the word of God. As I say so often, the spirit of God uses the word of God in the lives of the people of God for the glory of God. There's your, your discipline. Your hearts wander. What, what your heart gets corrected and trained by the word of God. It's like training wheels on a kid's bike. It's like side bumpers for kids at a bowling alley. You're guided by the word of God. If you miss something, God's going to take you back and help you learn. This is like uh, in Pilgrim's Progress, Christian took the scroll and left the scroll, the book, and had to go back and retrace his steps to get it. Some of you need to go back to the basics and learn the elementary things of the faith. Start with baby food, then move on to solid food. 
Hebrews 12, 13 says, make straight paths for your feet. It's like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. You've got to listen to and obey the word of God. Hebrews 12, 10 says, discipline by God is for our good. Think about it. You might want to be going a certain way. God brings you back around to revisit some things. Ephesians 5.11 says, don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. If you're a Christian, you have no business aligning with anti-biblical and anti-Christ causes. 12.11, when you're going through this discipline, it seems not joyful, but sorrowful, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Think about it. God's word is living, it's active, it's discerning of your heart. You're, you're, you're not hidden from God's ways. You, you are exposed before God and he disciples you, really, by his spirit through his word. I mean, think about what we're like. We're failing, we're failing, but God is infinite. God is completely perfect. Our loving heavenly father leads us and guides us. We look to him, governed by the word of God, because our hearts, they're idol factories. So don't live your life as if you think God's gonna zap you if you get out of line. A loving parent guides with a desire to comfort, not crush. So as you are shaped by the word of God in God's discipline, you go in God's ways. And then you live out what the last verse of Ecclesiastes says. Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 14. It says this, God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. You will live it out by basically saying, I'm going to fear God and keep his commands. I'm going to worship him and obey his word. Well, what is mankind doing right now? Ignoring the word of God, Babel-like, saying we're going to shape the world the way we want it. I love how the NIV puts the phrase, God seeks what has been passed by. God will call the past to account. He will call the past to account. So God seeks what has been passed by, and he is going to call the past to account. If you're a Christian, he's disciplining you, as, your, as his chosen child, because he loves you, and his goal is that you would share his holiness. Hebrews 12, 10. He, he loves you as his child, and so you get to 1 Corinthians 11, and you notice, if we're judged by the Lord, it says we are disciplined, so we may not be condemned along with the world. He, uh, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty two. Verse 28 tells you, examine yourself before you eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Discern the body. Do not bring judgment on yourself. If you judge yourself, if you're self-aware, if you're confessing your sins, if you're repentant, you won't be judged with the rest of the world because the Spirit is correcting you on an ongoing basis and you're going with it. And you build a God-honoring eternal perspective and you're aligned with God's purposes. Because by God's sovereign determination, by his providential orchestration, those who have yielded submissively to Christ will be everlastingly blessed forever in Christ. But those who've rejected Christ, they're going to be everlastingly tormented in hell. You need to know that. If you're not a Christian today, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. If you are a Christian, keep believing in the Lord Jesus and obey him with worshipful trust and obedience. If you're a Christian, your worshipful trust and obedience speaks volumes to those who are sitting in darkness who are unable to see spiritually. Your freedom in Christ speaks very loudly to those who are captives of sin. 
My hope and prayer is that every one of us that are believers, that anyone we encounter would have to choose between following Christ or rejecting Christ. That they would either go in repentance and faith or rejection and unbelief. God wants you to understand that he has a God-honoring purpose in everything. And right now, for every believer, God's purpose is to grow you in God-honoring obedience and worship. And so he gives you this earthly work to do and heavenly longing to go with it. He enables your worshipful trust and obedience. You know, I think I know what God is doing. I think he's making you and I homesick every day. I think that we're getting more homesick every day. Someone even said our greatest affliction is not anxiety or even guilt, but rather homesickness, a yearning to be at home with God. I mean, think about it. If you're a Christian, you know everything we touch turns to rust or decays, right? That's what happens. The world is turned in upon itself in pain, waiting with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, subjected to futility, the whole creation groaning together as in the pains of childbirth even now, because there is something more. There is something better. There is something greater to come. I mean, if you're a Christian, you know the good you want to do, you're not doing it. And the evil that you do not want to do, you're doing it. And the joy that you wish you had turns to grief. But you are prepping for eternity, and you're getting homesick. Just had two neighbors on my block die in the last week. Four in the last year. One of our own from Grace Orange died a week ago. We're homesick for heaven, are we not? Death is not the end. F.B. Meyer, as he was dying, wrote to his friend and said this, I have raced you to heaven. I am just off. See you there. Your earthly work, your heavenly longing, reminds you there is more to this life. Far more. More than what you see here. God is interested not only in the destination, but the journey for you. So whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It is for purpose. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you have eternal purposes uh, that cannot be thwarted. Thank you, Lord, that in our lives you, you have a purpose to grow us in, in worshipful obedience. Thank you, Lord, for the work you give us. Thank you for the heavenly longing we have. And thank you, Lord, that we can worship you even now as we trust you and obey you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we close singing center?
calendar with you. We made new plans. Got a picnic next week. We've also got a baptism on August 2nd. If you're a newer believer or you haven't been baptized yet, uh, registrations are open for the whole month, so they don't open tomorrow morning. They've been open all week, uh, if you didn't know that. Also, please exit the tent quickly so people can clean. You don't need to exit the property right away. You don't need to leave right away. Fellowship with your social distance. And make sure you exit to your right Playground side, so third hour can get it. It's getting warm, I know. Pray for third hour people, okay? Let's close with Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.
Yeah. 